hey y'all, uh, so rarely do I do a cold open. Uh, first, I, I assume with this podcast you've heard my previous episodes with Jerry Drake, so I didn't really bother to introduce him very well up at the top. But let me, let me say, um, Jerry works for the U.S. government in Washington, D.C. He works in a capacity he prefers not to divulge. Uh, Jerry has been on Monster Talk podcast a number of times to discuss all kinds of uh, esoteric topics involving things like theosophy, his own life as a paranormal investigator, and uh, grimoires, which uh, I used to call grimoires before I heard Jerry pronounce the word properly. Uh, Second, a small correction. I suggested President Buchanan was the first U.S. president to have a birther conspiracy uh, swirl around him. That would be Chester A. Arthur, or as we call him in Canada, Chester A. Arthur. Okay, uh, on with the show. Welcome back to another installment of Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and our returning uh, returning guest is Jerry Drake. Hey, Carl, how's it going? Good, great. How are you, how are you doing? How are you doing, Jerry? Uh, yeah, I know. Haven't done an app in a while. Um, uh, as you could probably, I think I might have sort of mentioned in one of my uh, uh, last uh, episodes that, you know, you know, Jerry, conspiracies just aren't all that fun anymore. Uh, you know, right. you know, they they used to be a lot of fun like ten years ago. It's like, God, boy, how what kind of dumb people believe this shit? And now it's like, oh my God. <laughs> so uh, it, it's not been super fun to you know do this. Um, but I, I, I I'm kind of I'm working on a book. I'm working on another book. I, I, I oh, my nice. my COVID project. I, I've put aside my uh, Canadian conspiracy book uh and my uh now i call it my covid project is uh yeah did, did you ever uh, did you ever read the book of lists yes absolutely yeah yeah uh so um I, I'm, I'm trying to write a, cons- a conspiracy or sorry a, a skeptics book of list oh cool book of lists yeah, yeah. so you know you know least impressive ufoing evidence and yeah, all kind you know all kinds of stuff right right now i'm working through um i'm actually sort of going through the uh, wikipedia it has a list of uh predicted apocalypses that never happened and i'm kind of going through that list and and uh it, interestingly some of the you know you wouldn't surprise sometimes wikipedia is not super accurate so i'm actually kind of finding like yeah that one date you know, that guy didn't actually predict an apocalypse, you know, you know, on that one date. But I mean, o- overall, it's about you know seventy, eighty percent right. But but uh, it, it's always kind of one of those things that's sort of fun to throw at somebody who's like, I oh, know the world's going to end, and and it's like, yeah, well, you know, here here's one hundred and fifty, you know, end of the year predictions that have not taken place. Why do you think you're <laughs> going to write this time? <laughs> but yeah, oh, anyways. That's a good one. Yeah, but anyways, but I've been I've been in pursuit of my uh, skeptics book of lists, looking for material and inspiration. I've been going through a bunch of old podcasts like 
back uh, podcasts of Monster Talk and and research of, and and then I was sort of listening to uh, uh, one you did uh, with me on Conspiracy Skeptic, and then yes. uh, one um, Jeb did, and uh, and then I noticed in that in that podcast you said you know hey you know if, um, you know in a, in a couple months um you know um I'd love to come back on and talk about and I'm like oh I never did have you back on to talk about X but I guess we can say it because people will read the title uh so yeah what 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 did you want to come back on conspiracy skeptic and talk about this is a great conspiracy because it's totally real it completely happened and the thing that we argue over is the extent to which you know how drastic it actually was and this is uh, a conspiracy related to the knights of the golden circle and they have such a great name no relation to the uh, Kingsman movies, but uh, that's exactly what popped into my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I, mean, uh, oh, I went and I kind of researched that. I'm like, oh, a different golden. Well, I mean, it, it, golden circle. It, in a way, it is the same gold. Like in the reference, the golden circle. What is the golden right. circle? Let's just get the geography out of so, the way. What people talked called the golden circle back in the old days was the the series of U.S. states and countries that bordered and surrounded the Gulf of Mexico. So we're talking about the geography from basically Key West around the Gulf uh, to the tip of the Yucatan Peninsula, and then the island, Cuba, Puerto Rico, um, all the, the Indies, and, and maybe a few to the south like El Salvador, depending on how, and Nicaragua, depending on how bold your theory was. And these were to be states, uh, they, they, are, they coincide with the, the states of the old triangle trade. And uh, the goal was to try to annex these states into the tri- Sorry, tri- to, to my, as a Canadian and to my non-American listeners, what, what was the triangle trade? Oh, the triangle trade, that was the trading of sugar, rum, and slaves around the Gulf of Mexico and then outward towards Africa and Europe uh, that sort of fueled the North American and to a lesser extent, the South American colonial economy. It's the whole reason why people came here (laughs) in such troves, uh, you know, in the first place. So the idea was, you know, the people from the beginning, when, you know, the U S became a country, there was a debate over whether or not we should abolish slavery. And they realized that slavery was going to die out as an institution at some point anyway, the question is, is that 1820 or is that 1920? Right. And, you know, I would argue probably closer to 1920 yeah. <laughs> based, yeah. based on the cost of labor in the United States in those days. Yeah. And so the idea was, you know, the North American continent was a big place and the United States had a little sliver of it in 1789. So there were these on and off again groups of people who wanted to push out westward and annex more territory. Uh, into the uh, into uh, into the United States, and this is known as the doctrine of manifest destiny, which everybody in the U.S. learned about in school, and then we learn about that too in Canada. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, James, nice. Monroe? Mon- James Monroe, James Monroe, James Monroe. There you go. Monroe. See, yeah. told you we learn about and, it. <laughs> and the idea was, you know, that this land was here; it was for the taking. It was full of, you know, Europeans and savages, which are, you know, lesser races if you're an early American you know, colonizer, and, and they thought they had the right to take the land. But there was a, there was a corollary to that in that uh, a sort of a subset of these people, because everybody in America believed they had the right to the North American continent, right? right. There, was no, there was no anti-expansionists at all in any meaningful numbers. But there was a really kind of uh, insidious subset to that, which were people who wanted to uh, annex that space uh, explicitly for slavery, 
And uh, one of my old professors from undergraduate school, Randolph Campbell, wrote a great book called The Empire for Slavery that talked about, you know, the Southern ambition to expand itself westward into Texas. And Texas was the, the key to this in, you know, in Spanish times, Texas extended from central Mexico all the way up to Colorado, almost to Wyoming today. And there was no way in hell you were going to build a sea to signing sea empire without annexing Texas. And the first guy to get excited about this was the famous or infamous Aaron Burr. He is not just a fictional character from Hamilton. Uh, he was a real guy. <laughs> and he shot and killed the real Alexander Hamilton. And in 1807, he and a guy named Harmon Blennerhassett, there's a lot of great names in this story, by the way, decided basically to try to build an army, march out west, and annex some territory. And uh, President Jefferson had him arrested for treason. Our Constitution has a very specific definition for treason. Treason can only be committed against the nation at which you're at war. So Burr was not convicted. Uh, and he eventually uh, had to go into exile. And his daughter, who was married to the governor of South Carolina, died in a, a shipwreck accident. And she was also a big advocate for this, these kind of uh, uh, westward expansion adventures and had been down in Mexico. And Burr had made a deal with the Spanish government of Texas and got himself 40,000 acres of land in Texas that he was going to try to you know, rule as a single plantation. Well, 40,000 acres is a damn country. <laughs> and so... Nobody, historians today, to this date, don't know what Burr was up to. He had had conversations with the Brits. He had had conversations with the Spanish. He left no papers behind. Uh, but, you know, when people interrogated Harmon Blennerhassett, they, they kind of got this idea that because Burr had failed to become president, he was just going to go out west and, like some, you know, Bond villain, create his own country. And, you know, it seems like he was on the way to doing that till Burr got wind of it or Jefferson got wind of it and shut him down. So he goes overseas, but people don't lose sight of this idea. And between sort of the 18, early 1810s and the 1850s, all these sort of clubs and organizations uh, form themselves around this idea and they become what we call the filibuster movement and a filibuster or a freebooter is a, is a soldier without a country whose goal it is to launch sort of um, extra or paramilitary uh, adventures into foreign lands for the sake of making profit. And why this is kind of interesting is it sort of turns on its head the whole idea we have of American history. Like, I mean, you didn't take American history in Texas like I did where, <laughs> you know, the way <laughs> – history you can't see me on the audio but history in quotes <laughs> is, is, is propaganda wait, wait, let, me, let me ask you how much how much did you learn about jacques cartier in texas oh uh he, the jewelry guy no <laughs> go on go on no, no no we learned we learned uh that he was a french guy okay um <laughs> not much not much like basically all of texas history from the time god creates the universe because that's how the universe was created up to the Civil War was covered in three weeks. <laughs> and we spent the rest of the time, you know, talking about how great white people were after the Civil War. So, and I'm really not kidding. It really is like compressed like that. But we were basically taught that the American Revolution, the Texas Revolution, the Western Settlement, slavery were all accidents. Like we were forced to do it. Yeah. You know, we were fighting for our freedom. And so n never mind how we got here in the first place, but we were fighting for our freedom. But the real truth is, Western expansion in the United States 
was a concerted effort. It was a plan, and it was a plan driven by Southern aristocrats and slave owners. And the freebooter movement is a great example of that. And the way I kind of got interested in this is my previous life before I came to Washington, which, oh, my God, close to 12 years ago, um, I was actually a historian. I, I taught at Concordia University there in Austin, and uh, I, I was a uh, archivist and later deputy land commissioner at the Texas General Land Office. And we had all the land records going back to the early days of Spanish colonization. So it was kind of a forest of places to research. And I got interested in one of these freebooter expeditions called the Gutierrez McGee expedition. It, it came to Texas in conjunction with the war of 1812 some of these freebooters had decided to push their way out from new orleans or uh, louisiana and invade east texas and see if they could mix it up and uh, (laughs) take over the state and then eventually uh make their way down to mexico and and try to do something down there that's exactly what eventually happens with regard to the mexican war like zachary taylor basically goes oh i didn't know i was in mexico now that i'm here i might as well take the place (laughs) So, so a repeat performance that eventually leads to the Mexican War. And what's in, what, what got me interested in it is how many people that were involved in that thing were kids of American revolutionaries. Right. One, one of the guys uh, who, was, who was in that expedition actually was from the American uh, uh, Revolution um, and got himself killed down at the Battle of Medina. He was 62 years old. And then a bunch of those people who survived, it was one of, I think it to this day is still the deadliest battle on what's now U.S. soil. I think it was like 1,500 guys died in one day at Medina, Gettysburg, or Antietam may top it, but it was a lot of guys. A lot of those folks go ahead and become members of the Knights of the Golden Circle and secessionists during the Civil War. And when you start to unravel their money, a lot of them are Texas revolutionaries, and a lot of them uh, had financial ties to Aaron Burr, and to some of these, and to Harmon Blennerhassett and his money there on Blennerhassett Island. So it starts to look, if not like a conspiracy, at least like, you know, a bunch of guys moving money around to accomplish a goal, which could fall under the definition of a conspiracy. And, and what, was, what, was, what was their ultimate goal? Their ultimate goal was to take Texas away from Spain, which was collapsing. The Mexican Revolution and the War of 1812 were going on at the same time. People forget that the War of 1812 was sort of a, the result of European instability, and it was making a mess in countries beyond the United States. So they're going to come out and get this real estate and make a bunch of money off of it because, you know, cotton growing is the gold of, of the 1810s. So they fail. A young Santana, who, you know, we all know from the Zorro movies, a young Santana is, you know, a lieutenant at the battle of, at, at one of these battles, and he, he is general orders that there will be no quarter given, so they kill everybody, and they chase all the survivors back to a Spanish town in East Texas called Salcedo. And what's fascinating about Salcedo is it was wiped out in one day. They, they burned the town to the ground, they destroyed it, they, they killed almost everybody there, and if you could find it, uh, it would be a really interesting archaeological treasure because it would be one of the few preserved, few preserved sort of Spanish American villages um, that no that hadn't been built on top of, like St. Augustine, San Antonio, all that. So you know, being a young Indiana Jones, I got excited about that, <laughs> and I was I was at a I can't remember what kind of a meeting. It was either Texas Archaeological Society, Texas Historical Society. 
I was giving a lecture on all the primary documents related to Salcedo. And I see this kind of woman standing at the back of the room, taking notes and, 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 and sort of being interested in it. And a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting in my office in Austin, I get a call and it's from this person. And she says, I'd like you to see if you could do a call with me and my boss to have a discussion about your Salcedo notes. Enter the mysterious multimillionaire. <laughs> this guy is actually some kind of a rancher. I, w- I won't say his name because he doesn't know I'm doing this and he's still around. Right. And uh, he's like, wow, you know, I think this thing might be on my property. I've been interested in it in years. Uh, can we bring you out to East Texas and take a look? This was not Jeffrey Epstein. Just this is not Jeffrey Epstein. Okay, no, right. I've, <laughs> no, no, this guy makes uh, pecan somethings. Okay. I, I can't remember what it is. My wife's telling me I'm wrong. As all I know is he has a hell of a big spread out in East Texas and collects okay. little trains, and I was super fascinated in that. Oh, man. <laughs> so we go out, you know, and the land is untouched. It had been in his family forever. He had an original land grant that was would have been picked up right after. We went out and meet the fellow whose property he thinks the place is on, and we're kind of getting a plan together. Uh, to go out and start doing some test pits because we don't need permits. It's all on private land, all right, okay. you know, and I've got my state hat on at that time. And I get a call and he's like, we're going to have to call it off. The guy who owns the land we want to dig in, uh, his propane tank blew up and killed him. Oh, geez. And, and uh, his kids don't want to have anything to do with it. So this has been, oh, my God, close to 20 years now. And Vicky and I just put a pen in that research, put it in a box and moved on. And Later on, I was kind of doing some research on conspiracy theories and things like that, and I ran across the Knights of the Golden Circle newspaper article that listed some potential members in Texas, and a couple of them were guys that were survivors from Gutierrez McGee. And I was like, damn, the the connection here is just Mm -hmm. exciting. It's not an overt conspiracy, but it's definitely a movement that nobody knows about, and let me, so that's how I got interested in this, and that's sort of the connection that takes us from Aaron Burr up to the KGC. But the KGC was a real organization. Which stands for to, sorry, Knights of the Golden Circle. KGC. Knights of the Golden Circle. Yeah, the yeah. Golden Circle being that, those countries that surround yeah. the Gulf. So Knights of the Golden Circle is organized by a guy who has the great Southern name of George Washington Lafayette Bickley. It kind of just, it's like, you know, the rule of the threes, like, you know, right. it's like, you know, one thing, one thing, and there's something bizarre. <laughs> right. This is almost a bit of a rule. See that name again? It's like a rule of four, though. It is George Washington Lafayette Bickley. And he, he lived from 1823 to 1867. He didn't live very long. The circumstances of his death are mysterious. And he was absolutely a con man. He, he, he ends up in Cincinnati. He, he runs away from home as a kid to live what he called an adventurer's life. And uh, he ends up in Cincinnati at a place, I believe it's called the Institute of Eclectic Medicine. And eclectic medicine in the, in the 19th century was an alternative to knife and, and sort of type surgery where they, they used pharmacopoeia and Indian Native American medicine to treat your diseases successfully or unsuccessfully. And interesting enough, that stuff stuck around to the twenties, but Bickley faked uh, medical credentials from university of London and got himself a job at this place up in Cincinnati on July 4th, 1854. He founds the Knights of the golden circle. And from some of his writings, he wrote a novel called at Alaska, 
that talks about westward expansion and avoiding civil war and all that stuff. Uh, he had already kind of had an interest in this before he founds the KGC, but he founds the KGC specifically with another uh, four or five guys at a meeting in Virginia to um, explicitly try to annex westward nations, the nations of the Golden Circle, into the United States and hold it as an as an inst- as a uh, an empire for Southern values and for slavery. So anybody who wants to argue that Southerners were not strong advocates for slavery, you know, this is just another nail in that, in that coffin. And it, it takes over from another, a number of organizations kind of like the one founded by Burr and one specifically called the Knights of the, the Lone Star, which was trying to annex Chile for some reason into the United States. Um, I think where that is. <laughs> yeah, how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they had big plans. But it turns out that that uh, much like our friends from QAnon, you know, Bickley hit it on the nose. Like, whatever he did, whatever his promotion skills were, uh, he was very successful. He organized the lodge like Masonic lodges, except right. instead of lodges and valleys, which are Masonic districts, they called their lodges castles. Okay. He he established the first castle with uh, with only five people, including himself. But within a couple of years, uh, a guy named General Elkanah Greer, who was a real general in the Union Army, later became a Confederate, Confederate general, had organized a bunch of castles in Louisiana and Texas. And he had 4,000 men under arms that he was eventually able to muster at the beginning of the Civil War uh, from their membership in the KGC. In addition, uh, the KGC was so successful that it infiltrated the Buchanan administration. Um, People who want to argue that the current U.S. president is the worst president in U.S. history have not ever looked into the Buchanan administration. It was a true S show (laughs) in every sense of the word. Buchanan was a complete inept incompetent. And uh, his administration was literally infiltrated by not just the KGC, but by pro-Southern conspirators across the board. But our Secretary of War, uh, John Floyd, and the Secretary of the Treasury, Hal Cobb, uh, were both KGC members. And they used their power and influence to direct money, resources, and military equipment towards the South in preparation for a potential civil war. So they were successful enough to put men under arms and to literally influence the the direction of at least one presidential administration. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that we have this sort of what we call a tradition now of past presidents not speaking out about current presidents. Uh, uh, President Obama got himself in trouble for saying some negative stuff about President Trump. That is a modern tradition because when Buchanan was president, uh, former President Franklin Pierce handsome Hank Pierce literally did nothing but ream Buchanan all day long <laughs> every day with every opportunity he could about what a, what a junky, you know, piece of crap president he was. So Hank Pierce not notable as being one of America's best presidents either. No, he ran over and killed a lady in this and they covered it up. <laughs> he was out getting hammered on some of that fine bourbon we were talking about earlier. And, uh, uh, ran a lady down on his, I think she was a, a senior citizen, ran her down and, oh, and they covered it up. So no, the presidency was not uh, the honorable <laughs> office in the 1850s that it is today or that it was until 2016. So I was good to know that 
the presidency has been a shit show in time. It's always so. that's the thing. If you study, if you, you know, if you, if you, American historians are just like, yeah, it's, it's we had fifty good years. Now we're back to normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. So we've got a pot calling a kettle black here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, okay. so the Buchanan administration is overrun by these nuts and. They are actually successful in, in pulling some of this off. Um, the, they, they direct resources to the Civil War. They're successful in get to the Confederacy ahead of the Civil War. And they are successful at getting um, the armory in Texas to surrender without a shot fired. <laughs> you know, Sam Houston was the senator from Texas at that time, and he was a unionist. He was pro, he was anti-slavery, or he wasn't necessarily anti-slavery, but he was anti-Confederacy. And uh, they got the U.S. garrison in Texas basically the gateway to the Gulf of Mexico to surrender without a shot fired. Um, so it, as conspiracies go, this one was pretty damn successful. And that's what I find so fascinating because we never hear a word about it. Like I never heard a word about this thing, even, even getting my master's degree in history, it didn't come up, but you know, you start scratching around there's, it's got an article on Wikipedia. Now it, it, obviously there was no Wikipedia when I got interested in this. Right. But it was actually a successful attempt to infiltrate the U.S. government and to bend its will towards a, a decidedly undemocratic cause. And I, I think that's really prescient today because, to me, it's sort of an analog for QAnon, right? Like it's a – right. It's a, it's, and Bickley himself never made a dime off of it. He became a Confederate doctor, which shows you how – you know, uh, well, the Confederates screened their doctors that they hired a fake doctor <laughs> yeah. and he, he got, he got war nerves and ran off and he eventually dies and he gets replaced. And during the war, they replace him, uh, with another leader and they rechristen themselves as, um, the American Knights. And then later the Knights of Liberty or the night or the Knights of the Sons of Liberty, both of which sound like badass motorcycle gangs. Um, and they go on. They fight in the war. They become Confederate regulars. And when the war is over, um, some of their members form the organization we know as the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Um, so that organization has tendrils into American history that exist right down to the, the present day. And the question about the conspiracy is not did it happen and not was it somewhat successful, but how extensive was it? Right. We know for sure there were two acknowledged members of the cabinet. I mean, that would be like, you know, Mnuchin being in QAnon, right? Like right. That, that's, that's, you know, or out and proud member of the Klan. You almost don't want to, you know, ever how you feel about Trump, they're, they haven't gone that far yet. Yeah. <laughs> Close. But, uh, <laughs> I'm getting there, but. Yeah. <laughs> Give him another but, term. No, no, let's not. Let's <laughs> <That's> not. <laughs> but. but but how far did they go? And at the time, and here's the big one, because they didn't okay. publish their membership lists. They didn't right. know who was a part of it. The question is, was a particular Southern gentleman a member of this organization, a Southern gentleman named John Wilkes Booth? Right. And that's the real question. We, we, we suspect that Booth and a couple of his uh, cohorts were members of the KGC. People at the time thought he was in the KGC. And there is some evidence that Booth was organizing his activities with Southern agents uh, to assassinate President Lincoln. So there is the, the question, the open question, as to whether or not the KGC was responsible for Lincoln's assassination in the last days of the war right, right. with the belief that 
you know, President Johnson would be uh, much softer on the South, which of course he was. So, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting, you know, if this organization was real and had the tendrils, it, you know, people believed it did, it, it was a conspiracy that was disparate, but which was quite successful in shaping the course of, of American history and not in a particularly good way. I mean, we do know that, you know, some of the generals and, and officers who were, who would eventually go on to form the Klan were KGC members. So that connection uh, is still around. And then there's modern KGC conspiracies. People, you know, if you want to get a little, you know, space aliens ate my homework kind of conspiracy. <laughs> there is a, a belief that a lot of the treasure that uh, quote unquote was buried after the civil war was KGC treasure. And there is some evidence that some of that might be true in, in 2013 out in Saddle Ridge, a gold hoard uh, with a gold face value of about 23,000 bucks was found. Uh, I think it ended up going for about $10 million. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence that this was money the KGC had secreted out there to front their war effort. And then the deep dish conspiracy is that they're still around and they're still covering up modern sort of people's connections through their families to that organization. There was a, a, an ad man turned historian named Don Kemp who kind of got into the Lincoln conspiracy and got crazy back in the early eighties. And he gave up his life in New York city and went out uh, West to research Lincoln. And he was claiming he had found all these crazy things about Dr. Mudd and, you know, all, all would rewrite the Lincoln conspiracy. And uh, he got, he got himself dead. We don't know how okay. either someone murdered him and we don't know how it happened and his papers were stolen and, or he left his papers behind in a museum. Uh, some folks got uh, a hold of them and several of the people who came in contact with those papers later on also got themselves dead. So there's amongst conspiracy theorists, this belief that some, the KGC in some form still exists to the present day and is sort of still pushing this kind of Southern uh, exceptionalist agenda, neo-Confederate agenda inside the U.S. government. Now, I don't know that I believe that, but I believe they might have some gold stuck out there. Right. And I sure as hell believe that the Ku Klux Klan is still around and has direct ties to this to this organization. So, I was going to say, Doctor Mud, that was the guy that treated John Wilkes Booth, and he, he was he was charged. Wasn't he not charged with something? Did he was he convicted? I, I thought there was a pardon that came down he at some point. Was he was he, he he didn't hang with everybody else. I mean, they got the Surratts who kind of put, you know, Mary Surratt was the first woman executed. She she got hanged for putting them up. But the question was, was Mud just a good doctor who you know was on the road, or was he part of the conspiracy? And at the time, you know, there was some considerable debate that he was just a good doctor. But in in recent years, hmm. historians have more and more come to the conclusion that he was involved in it. Right. Okay. So yeah. Right. Did you ever, did you ever encounter any research about uh, John Wilkes Booth's time in uh, Montreal? Uh, not Montreal, definitely Texas. I knew a couple of okay. historians that were working on that, but Montreal. I'd like to. Have you got that? Do you know that story? Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, um, I, I know because like, John Wilkes Booth, he was an actor, and yes. Montreal was a bit of a. Um, a uh, like kind of like a safe house for a lot of uh, 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 Confederates. Um, mm-hmm. This this is this is kind of like want to say like the uh, was it the, the Fenian raids that uh, Fenians, that, yeah yeah that was a bit of a payback for Canada's you know kind of like 
I would not say out and out support of the of the Confederacy, but you know uh, their neutrality that kind of seemed to rankle you know Lincoln at the time that that we we did we did give sort of safety and comfort to to you know Confederates who went north, and then there there was that there was a big bank robbery uh, right along the Canadian border. So some guys were killed and then they, 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 they made off to, uh, to, um, to Montreal with the money. And then, you know, we weren't going to give these guys back to, to, to the States or something, but yeah, but, but we'll, I think John Wilkes Booth did spend some amount of time in Montreal before he, he, then he went down and, and, and shot Lincoln. So yeah. there, there, there is some sort of, you know, I mean, if you want to get down as a conspiracy, you know, like that, it was a, you know, it was a, you know, a Canadian conspiracy to bump off Lincoln or something. Well, this is, this is one of those great revisionist aspects of history that, that frustrates me a little bit and, and will frustrate historians is that the myth is, you know, the Confederacy was on its own and everybody in the Union was, you know, anti-slavery and the nations of Europe were, were just aghast at what went on. But in fact, you know, France, Britain, <clears throat> Canada, a number of countries that benefited from the southern cotton industry declared, you know, I can't remember who said it, what they called a, the abhorrent peace yeah. by not getting involved. You know, they, they could pretend to be neutral while still benefiting from, from Southern cotton. And we called that character uh, that, uh, up North, a copperhead, the copperhead movement where uh, Northerners who, and people from overseas who nominally opposed slavery, but who also opposed war with the Confederacy. And, and uh, one of the things the KGC did was invest a lot of time and resources into getting copperheads on board. And in fact, these guys in the, in the Buchanan administration would have fallen under that description. Every encounter with Buchanan, it was, I think Buchanan, went, he was the first birther conspiracy, was he not? There was talk about yeah. Buchanan not be, you know, being foreign born or something and, and, and not, um, and not, not, not American, but I think he's, from Pennsylvania, right? Buchanan's, uh, I think he's from Lancaster, PA. I think he's our only Pennsylvania president. Yeah. I think he, he might have, there might have been some claim he was born in Canada or something. There there was. Yeah, yeah. Like his presidency, he and Polk both have these really important presidents we know almost nothing about because we just – but like King Akhenaten, we erased James Buchanan from the king's list. Like this is incredibly influential and incompetent president. Like nobody talks about, you know, oh, okay. and it's oh, someday I'd like to do a book on him and on Polk, you know, cause they were incredibly influential presidents who have no papers, you know, that we've just tried to forget about them, but they were extremely important. You know, they what? both led directly to the civil war. Was Polk the big fat guy or no, the, no who's the bit, the fattest American president? That's James. Uh, that's William Howard Taft. Oh, sorry, right, Taft. Okay. Yeah, right. and I'm I'm really good friends with his great grandson, so I'm not going to oh, say too much nice. about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Will Taft the fourth, who's not going to be listening to this uh, podcast. <laughs> but yeah, he was a big dude. Like he was about my size plus 100 pounds. He was okay. an enormous guy, and he was our only president to serve in all three branches of government. He oh, was okay. uh, uh, in uh, Congress, the Supreme Court, and uh, in the presidency. Okay. No, okay. We're not. So, some allegations that Franklin Pierce was a member of the golden circle as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. As, as one of these copperhead guys, oh, okay. it, it's a, it's a, it was a long reaching conspiracy 
And, you know, from what I can tell, I've gone into some sort of newspapers from that time period. There's really good newspapers around post-Civil War. There's not a lot from that time period. And I wish there were more, especially from places like Texas. But if you just put in Golden Circle, you know, in uh, in the the Library of Congress newspaper, you get a lot of hits. Like, they were right. they were really very out and proud with their organizational tactics. And a former member wrote a book about them. Uh, which was sort of lurid literature at the time. Uh, and one of the things, you know, we, we talk about conspiracies. The reason why I think this is such an important thing to study is we talk about conspiracies today as if they're an anomaly and as if they're a product of the Internet. But in fact, they were very much a product of mass media back in the old days. We literally in the United States had something called the Anti-Masonic Party. Right, yes. We got so wrapped up in the idea that the government was ruled by Freemasons that we formed a political party called the Anti-Masons. And, um, I mean, I don't know if the government was ruled by Freemasons. I mean, a lot of people in government were Freemasons. A lot of them are now. So, yeah. you know, it, a lot of them were in Skull and Bones. And I, I am talking know, to one, am I not? Yeah, I'm actually a Freemason. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> Just, full disclosure. You, you can't see it, but on camera, I am doing the, uh, right, I'm doing right. the Illuminati uh, sign. Right. <laughs> so... So, I mean, that's the thing, you know, uh, I mean, I know Bonesmen, I know people who've gone right. to the freaking, whatever, the Bilderberg group and all that stuff. I mean, right, elites right. hang out with elites in places where non-elites are so they can talk freely and, and make deals across party lines. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not you call that a conspiracy is is really a, a question of degrees, right? Um, but in the case of the KGC, it was absolutely a conspiracy. And that's what's so exciting is it. It wasn't fake. Like, we just have to figure out how big it actually was and how far-reaching its, its tentacles actually yeah. were. And Bickley lost complete control of it. Much like QAnon, you know, Bickley was the match that lit the fire. Right. But he, he wasn't really running or coordinating that thing by, by the time the Civil War emerges. Uh, but, I mean, if he ran 4chan, would he have been able to keep control of the uh, Knights of the Golden Circle? Probably not, because 4chan hasn't been able to keep control over QAnon, right? Like, you don't even – a lot of QAnons now take place on Twitter, places like that. So, right, okay. You know, right. whoever created QAnon is not in control of it, because Q has tweeted 5,000 times or sent out 5,000 drops. Those can't all be by the same person. So, the, uh, got a bot. This, is a, this, is a, this is a long – uh, row to hoe, but the, I mean, to me, the amusing thing that Franklin Pierce could have been in the Knights of the Golden Circle, a group, you know, committed to creating basically a, you know, a slaver empire, uh, you know, uh, in, in this Golden Circle, is that, um, you know, Alan Alda, of course, played, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin Pearson Mash, and Eldon Alda, you know, is a very liberal, hip liberal guy, that, and, and, and obviously his name in the show was uh, a nod to that president, and, and so What's it just... What's the line you know, of Benjamin Franklin Hawkeye Pierce? Uh, yeah. A founding father, a president, and an Indian chief, I think is the, the joke from the show. Okay. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, MASH is the greatest show about Vietnam that was set during Korea that was <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, MASH was on longer than the Korean War lasted, and yeah. it, it was totally about Vietnam, and it was one of the shows that shaped my politics growing up. I mean, yeah. media doesn't – I mean, my parents watched that thing religiously, and it was, you know – as it goes on, you know, and, and Alan Alda becomes more of a producer and a writer on the show, you know, it, it develops that political edge. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Like, we, 
you know, we, we think of those early presidents, those presidents in a way, I did a paper one time called Abraham Lincoln, the first American president, where it really argued that everything post Lincoln is the way we think of America. Like America prior to, prior to Lincoln was a foreign, was a foreign country and a foreign mindset. Like none of us, if we suddenly got sent back in time would recognize the United States prior to Abraham Lincoln and the civil war. It was, it would have looked a lot more like, you know, pastoral Britain with a local aristocracy, factory barons and, you know, Dutch patroons and things like that. It, it had an aristocratic cut to it and elections were not the defining uh, aspect of our, of our social life and our society. And neither was church. It was a much more secular society. It was a less militaristic society. It was a very different place. Right. And, you know, Lincoln, the Civil War and the Lincoln presidency created the, the sort of American zeitgeist that we live in today. And uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt closed the door on that. Like, if you think about it, <clears throat> the U.S. today has enjoyed such a tremendous period of peace and prosperity relative to what we had experienced before World War II, people today can't even recognize a pandemic for what it is. And prior to Roosevelt, that's what killed most of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we have gotten, we've been so safe and so comfortable after World War II that the America that exists today, we can't even imagine a pandemic, an insidious conspiracy taking over the government and an incompetent president that can't lead. And that was more the order of the day before <laughs> before FDR than, than anything we've experienced after FDR. Yeah. So I, I think that's why this is so fascinating. It's like people are like, how is this happening? Well, dude, this used to happen all the time. <laughs> you, free politics and a free press that can publish whatever the hell they want without any kind of regulation or, or check will just publish bullshit, right? And, and that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, the um, you know, it's like the uh, – the the notion that you know you know that like like the fifties right you know yeah you know, the, the idea that that economic prosperity and dad goes to work and earns a middle class income and 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 you know and like like when you yeah when you look at sort of the grand scheme of things like that that was like that was that was a blip I think it was uh, a blip it was a blip <laughs> that we think is the should it's be, the norm. Should be the norm. It, 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 it's an outlier that we. It's you know. It's an outlier that we see as the norm. Yeah, we could have that again if you killed off a third of your working age population, had yeah. Jim Crow, and leveled the industrial capacity of Europe and Asia. Sure, we could go back to the fifties. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. that's how we made our money. We I had know. a working a working force here in in North America that could rebuild. Europe and Asia, yeah, exactly. but that, that was an outlier. I mean, exactly. you know, here's, here's my plan. Let's, let's break every window in Europe. That's a good plan. We <laughs> could break every window in Europe. If we pay the people who are breaking the windows, we could create two jobs. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Or I, I think if, I mean, you think about like, you know, I mean, I know, I know my grandfather used to talk a lot about polio and it would just be like, Oh yeah. You know, like once polio set in someplace that, that you know that that pool or that lake or that you know that that restaurant was a, a, a desert you know that people right. took, people took polio super seriously people Very didn't seriously. fuck around right and when they came up with a polio vaccine right i mean that dude was like was it not not who, who uh, salk right salk you know yeah uh, you know, I mean, salk. yeah yeah i mean that dude I, I do not think he won a nobel prize for 
I think he did, but I think he gave the vaccine away for free. Okay, yeah, yeah, he might have done that that too, but but yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I mean, that dude was definitely a hero, right? You know, right? Like the, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. People, yeah, people didn't, didn't fuck around with polio. Well, and I'll tell you why, because Life Magazine ran a cover of kids in iron lungs, and it scared yeah. the shit out of people. Oh, for like sure. A, a fate worth ending up in an iron lung is a fate, fate worth in death, and and they people took it seriously, whereas the flu, the Spanish flu, and COVID were not scary you know there was no way to sort of you just got sick it was a terrible death and you you died or you got better you know but polio was scary as hell and then of course fdr himself had it and was in that wheelchair so so people were surviving polio and then living just miserable lives as a as a result of it yeah that's good That's that's a good that's a good point yeah you know the the idea that um I know, you know, I, 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 there's this stupid show on, on history channel. I mean, that's, that's maybe a bit of a tautology, but there is a show on history channel. Jerry, you think it's stupid? Yeah. Uh, so, what's the show? Yeah. Uh, this well, one's I refer a, to the history channel as the Hitler channel. Yeah. For a few years, he was the only thing that was ever on there. No, now, now it's like a lot of like treasure hunters. Like it's like Joseph Smith era on steroids. It's like the, um, you know, like I see, you got the you got the Oak Oak Mystery of Oak Island, and 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 by the same people, and, and there's like this crossover, like you know, like like you know, Laverne and Shirley show up on Mystery of Oak Island or something, right. and, and, yeah, and where it's the uh, the guy from what are the the fucking morons who's spending his fortune, you know, trying to dig out a uh, you know um, just a um, you know, a sinkhole on the island. Uh, now he's on this. Shows up on the show about they're they're trying to dredge a lake in Michigan yeah, for to find the, some Confederate gold. Yeah, Confederate gold. Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that you know, and I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there are caches of gold. You know, so, like it's okay. So we don't know what happened to that particular pile of Confederate money. It actually did disappear, but I have a feeling it disappeared into the pockets of like. It's like, oh, look at all that Confederate. You know, we're about to get out of the army. Maybe we can do a little something, something. So you got 5,000 guys splitting up $5 million. Like, you could carry that home in your pocket, you know. Yeah, yeah. So if you wanted to, it's sort of like my wife and I have a theory about a famous pirate whose name I'm not going to mention because she'll kill me because we've done a lot of research. <laughs> we we think we found his money, and we think he had a real estate deal going. <laughs> this oh, okay. is a buried treasure. There's a plantation involved. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, if someone like him, hey, Jerry, here's a million dollars. Do you just right. go and bury it in a backyard? No, <laughs> like, hell no. No, but I might buy a backyard. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I, I like the treasure of Oak Island for a couple of reasons, because I it's sort of, you know, as a guy who's studied archaeology as an undergraduate, and this is still kind of my hobby, and I, I think I kind of know what's going on there, and it's nothing like what they – think it is like the oak island treasure now we're the oak island conspiracy podcast um treasure was a real estate deal right like the guy who claimed that there was treasure on that island didn't write about it for years later and oh by the way he wanted you to buy a lot there so it's clearly a story but what i think happened is like a lot of islands it's porous right Mm -hmm. and as people have built cemeteries and built buildings and dug these holes all the shit that would have been in that first detritus layer has collapsed into the water. And when they dig down in there and find, you know, a button or something at 200 feet, what they're finding is these poor bastards who got buried there have 
you know, their graves have been collapsed by all this digging. And now there's like this big sluice pile yeah. underneath that island that they dig down into every once in a while. So that's my theory. But I love the guy that runs it because he has made – that guy, Marty, yeah. he was already a millionaire, right? Yeah. But he's made more money by doing this show because he's basically got your government paying yes. him to do it. Like yes. every American, you know, he's got the Canadian government to pay him to dig this thing up. And then he's oh, yeah. advertising for his winery. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. I, I mean, the um, – I mean, is it Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Oak Island? But the, Nova um, Scotia. Yeah, Okay. Think of um, think of America's New England, right? There's right. there's a little bit of money in New England, right? You know, yeah. it, right? There's you, a lot you, of money in New England. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, being sarcastic. There's a lot of fucking money in New England, right? It is a very well-to-do part of the Atlantic Ocean. Right. Now, cross the border, and Canada's version of New England is just poor. Right. Like these right. people, just like. Half the year I survive clubbing seals to death, and the other half of the year I uh, I, I fish. You know, it's it, it's a very hard scrabble life. So yeah, so these American guys with money and they drink a lot of beer and yeah, they drink a lot of beer. Yeah, so. yeah, you know this. Yeah, come on down. You know, and if you know, sure. Sometimes if our scientists at Mount Allison universities kind of got to go, well, you know, that could be this way. And, you know, that's a hundred jobs for Canadians. Right. Boom. Exactly. We're, yeah. we're there. Well, they always, the scientists are my favorite. Cause they're like, this could date to 1500 to 1700. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, no, it's 1700, bro. And that thing they dug up, like, obviously it's a whaling station. Like those were very common up and down the Eastern seaboard. You can dig, you could dig out at the Potomac here and find one. These guys would whale. You, you got to understand how the whaling industry worked. They would kill these massive animals. And then they couldn't process them on the deck of a, of a wooden ship. They had to take them somewhere. So they would drag these whales to someplace like that, and they'd process them on the island. I mean, that's obviously what that dredge and all that stuff is. And, I mean, probably the coconut fibers and the, the weird trees and everything came from the fact that that was an extremely convenient place to, 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 process, to process animals for the whaling industry. Even some of the tools they find are whaling tools. Like one of the hooks they found is a is a is a whaling hook. It's not a Knights Templar halberd yeah. or whatever the <laughs> hell they say it is. Yeah, I, uh, that was the sort of thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, like you've got you, you're talking about the Knights of the Golden Circle, and then every sort of like related or fellow travel organization. Everyone seems to take the word knight. Like, what was the you write down to the Ku Klux? Oh, there. I can tell you about this. Yeah, what, you know, what, we, what is the fascination with that? So the South is deeply fascinated right up to the present day, but more so back in the old days with the concept of, of, of English aristocracy. You, you know, the whole myth was you were some kind of, you know, bumfuck dude who, who got some land out in Alabama. And then all of a sudden you got a dog trot, then you got a plantation, then you got 5,000 slaves and you start to see yourself as a, as a, as a feudal Lord. Right. So they, they became extremely interested in their, in their genealogy, in, in their ties to, to England, and in their ties to sort of the past. You know, my own ancestors were uh, plantation, quote-unquote, aristocrats, except it turns out they were actually aristocrats, which is another story in itself. And they're just fascinated with, with their genealogy and their ties to England. So the United States has no 
you know, specifically we have no uh, heraldic orders. <laughs> so they would all form themselves into these, into these heraldic orders, okay. uh, Knights of the Golden Circle. In fact, there's still an organization in Texas, the uh, Sons of the Republic of Texas, of which I am an honorary lifetime member. <laughs> um, and they, their highest honor is to be called a, a Knight of San Jacinto. So they, that was the thing is the, the Southern plantation system fancied itself as a continuation of sort of the English feudal system. And it's really weird. And it, and it was very on purpose, but yeah, they all, they all saw themselves as sort of these, you know, knights defending the, the old, the old order from the motherland. Yeah. Part of my uh, skeptics book of lists. um, I'm trying to, I did a section about lost treasures that probably don't actually exist. Yeah. One I came across was, uh, you know, Jesse, Jesse James and buried the night Templar treasure. It's just like this fusion. Have you come across this one? Oh, yeah. And this might oh, be yeah. Rela- I think this is even related to the Knights of the Golden Circle in some bizarre way. Yeah. There's there are people that have argued that James, a Confederate, was a member. He's one of the potential KGC members, and that he he was doing stuff. I mean, they were Contrails Raiders who were just yeah. the worst sons of bitches in the whole Civil War, uh, war criminals. If Geneva Conventions had existed, without doubt. And there there has been since. The, the 19th century, possibly as early as the 18th century, an obsession with a, a, a European colonization of America that preceded that of Columbus. Right. Uh, the idea that a Spaniard or an Italian was the, you know, the founder of America was abhorrent to uh, European racists. So they, they are American racists of European origin. So they, they did everything they could to try to come up with a Scandinavian or an English or French settlement strategy for, for the United States. And they embraced the Templars really early on. They embraced Pater John, uh, all these guys as potential settlers of the U S. So there's been this weird conspiracy theory. And of course, you know, the U S in the 19th century was obsessed with the idea that we weren't mentioned in the Bible. Like how could a country as important as us not be a member, a part of, biblical prophecy. So the idea that the Templars brought the cup of Christ to the, you know, the ancient America uh, isn't just Barry fell. Like that was an obsession for 19th century, uh, uh, you know, jingoistic Americans who, who wanted to believe we had an ancient tie to the Holy land. So that, that would be a good book. Like if I had time, that's the book I would want to write is all these modern, you know, Barry fell, Templars in America, you know, theories have roots in, in early American history. Yeah, was, yeah the, the Jesse James, there's, there's some guy who claims that, like, I don't know, his great-grandfather or his grandfather was Jesse James, actually right. survived his death. It, like, like, his evidence is basically... The, the Young Guns movie is based on that guy's story. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, his evidence is basically, well, you know, I showed a cop a picture of my face and a picture of Jesse James's face. And he says, Oh, you know, the nose and the eyes match. So yeah, you are definitely, you know, the, the, you know, the grandson of Jesse James or something like, like, like his evidence is so weak, but you know, yeah. he doesn't stop there. Right. It's like, Oh, Hey, you know, my, my grandfather was Jesse James who survived his death. And they, Put you know up you know they buried somebody else in his grave yada 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 yada. Oh wait, young, young guns might be Billy the Kid. Young oh guns okay, is Billy the Kid. There's there's the stories of I, I get into my outlaws confused. Okay. Yeah yeah yeah. There's the stories that Billy the Kid survived his death too. So okay. yeah, there's yeah. 
No, he could be getting this mixed up too, but you're right. But I, I, I'll, let's go with Jesse James. Uh, I'll, I'll correct it in post. But uh, the, uh, the anyways, this guy, Billy the Kid, and his things that <laughs> Billy the Kid, yeah. But um, right. So, anyways, so uh, yeah. But yeah, where he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop that. You know, hey, Jesse James is you know survived his death and is my grandfather. Blah blah blah. But he's just like, and he had the Templar treasure and he reburied right, it someplace and it's just like, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. That stuff, like, have you, have you seen the, uh, what are those, the, the, uh, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence movies. What in the hell? Uh, National Treasure? National Treasure. The KGC are the villains in the, in the second yes. one, in the Book of Shadows. Yes. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. They, yeah. They do. Yeah. So they're not in the uh, Kingsman movie, but they right. They do <laughs> legit show up right in the. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, it was, it was like the Men in Black. You know, like like, um, you know, that movie Men in Black. Like before the movie came out, if you, early days of the internet, if you were trying to research the Men in Black. Is really oh, I was. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, so you know, right? So you, <laughs> right. you've just like find like, you know, things about the men in black, the legend right. and, you know, and then the fucking movie comes out and, you know, it, you cannot find hits on, you know, we, we used like Hotbot or, or, uh, right, Hotbot. Alta Vista, you know, back then it wasn't <laughs> Google, but, uh, and, and, and you know, of course some people would then claim, right. That, you know, the movie came out to, you know, kind of like paper over the actual legend or you know the truth or something and so i i, I can see right that might have people might also make that claim but well it, it's funny you know i a masonic buddy of mine that talks talks to hollywood a lot you know it's always the same thing hollywood will be like so are the masons really in charge in charge of the world and he'll be like <laughs> because obviously they want people to join the masons right, right. so that's sort of the, sort of the way it is it's, it's it's one of these things where it's you know it's it's some of these things are self-perpetuating like masons would love to believe that they founded the united states and their symbolism is encoded on the dollar bill like they they don't know if that's true but they would love to believe it yeah and i, I think that's really an issue with, with some of this stuff like the mibs like i think there's a lot of evidence that the early men in black stories were goofy proto MUFON guys who thought you to investigate UFO crashes, you had to put on a suit, you know, so they show up in these <laughs> weird places that, you know, this is, I can't remember the guy's name, but this is the, uh, the, uh, uh, Mothman prophecies guy. Keel, Keel, John Keel. Keel, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he records the early men in black sightings. And to me, they sound like amateur UFO investigators wearing their dad's suit and trying to figure out how to make a radio shack tape player work. I mean, well, it's like he couldn't figure out how to use his tape player. It's because it's his first investigation and he just bought it, you know. So there's like there's a lot of times we I'm not going to tell this story, but I'm kind of going to tell it like there's okay. a lot of times when you step on your dick in government, you know, you, you show up to do something. And the, the, the guys from one agency realizes that they've busted the guys from another agency. Oh, right, know, okay. that happens a lot. Right. OK. So, yeah. So I think I think a lot of that on where you know when mothman happened people just converged on that place and we still see that today like a cool a cool thing happens you know and you know i mean you find out you're just 24 hours away from another investigator that showed up there so yeah i mean that's that's how that's how legend building works and you know in an era i mean we talked about the airship mystery a, a little bit on on one of blake's podcasts and 
that's what it was is everybody just kept telling stories about the same stuff. And then they all started sort of reiterating and reifying their own stories. And then boom, a, a mystery was born. Yeah. You know, actually origin of the men in black. I mean, if you look at, especially if you look at, let's say like, like Bigfoot people, they don't work well together. Like everybody is out to be like, I'm the one I want the money. And coming back to your men in black, right? I mean, I can see that you've got these, you know, these junior UFO investigator kit people and they come to get your story. They don't want you telling the story to the next guy who might exactly. get it in Fate magazine and not eat you, you know. And so, so what do you do? <laughs> like, you know, like you tell them don't don't talk to anybody. Well, one of the things that happened in Keel's era is everybody had a name for their organization that had the word bureau. In it, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is really common. Like we we talk about the Bfro and all these organizations, but in the old days. You know, it was all the Center for UFO Investigation or the Bureau of UFO Investigation. And they had these fake sort of government names and fake IDs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, I was a MUFON member when I was a teenager. And they sent me a friggin' badge. Like, it looked like an official badge. So, you know, (laughs) if you've got no shame, you'll show up with your your badge and your FBI wallet that you bought out of the back of Police Gazette. And, uh... I mean, well, I don't know. <laughs> one of my lists in the Skeptics Book of Lists is, uh, yeah, six defunct UFO organizations. Right. Uh, let me read you the names. We got well, cool. well, well, NICAP. NICAP is a pretty NICAP. Uh, yeah. So National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. They were kind of like the nuts, nuts and bolts, as, they, yes. as the expression went. And then you had Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. Uh, right. Then you kind of get starting to like, I think this one was started by like a fort. No, not this one. There's another one. It sounds like it was started by a 14-year-old because it was. But this one was like uh, UFO Investigators League. (laughs) (laughs) And the the National Institute for Discovery Science. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, you know that one. They're still around, yeah. Aren't they? I, well, I have it on my list of defunct. So I, I, I think, okay. yeah, that was the Robert Bigelow. He, he wrapped That's that Bigelow. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My research into Haiti wrapped that up in 2004 when he realized that all oh, these triangle UFOs are probably just stealth fighters or something like that. Yeah, let's not yeah. talk about any of that stuff. Oh yeah, this is one of the the, inter, the the International UFO Bureau. Yeah, that was started right. by Right, that's the one I was thinking about, the International yes. UFO Bureau. Yeah. Right, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> right, yes, yes, and you did yes, right. I yeah, yeah. And I think you did get a um yeah, like a UFO pass or something and Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And No, uh, I don't know if if Mufon still does it, but they used to send you a freaking badge with your picture on it and all this stuff. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. The investigator kit and you got a hat. Yeah. Oh, oh no! It was the, the UFO Investigators League? That was the one that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You you got a a membership badge that gave the member quote. <laughs> I'm quoting from the their this the authority the authority to officially investigate UFO cases and report your findings to headquarters. Great. So imagine those nerds showing up in their dad's Sunday suit, you know, exactly. in the backwoods of Appalachia. You know, looking pasty and sweaty. I mean, there's your there's your Men in Black, like uh, Occam's Razor. I I really kind of buy that story. And you're right. You know, I hang out with a lot of Bigfooters. I don't know why they like me, but Bigfooters like me a lot. You're and not. They really, you're not a small man height wise. No, they might think that I am a shaved Bigfoot <laughs> bullshit. That's my assumption. Oh, he he shaved up and got a government job, and he's in charge of the Bigfoot. Uh, 
the the Bigfoot wing, wing government. I don't know, but uh, they are really militant. Like my friend is a quantum Bigfoot guy. Oh, right, he yes, believes yes. that Bigfoot travels interdimensionally, and that's why there's no, you know, there's not a lot of evidence, and there's a lot of high strangeness. But the guys who believe that Bigfoot is a is a big ape in the woods are just they think that's ludicrous that it's just militantly ludicrous. And I have pointed out, I even wrote something, I think for one of their newsletters that says quantum Bigfoot makes a lot more sense than, than real Bigfoot because there's no Bigfoot in the fossil record. Yeah. And I was like, if you want to go find Bigfoot, if you believe he's a real animal, you need to hang out at your museums and, and go to their bone rooms and dig through there looking for anomalous, you know, upright pelvises and stuff like that. Because, no Bigfoot in the fossil record means no Bigfoot. And they just, it just, you know, blows their mind. Right, yeah. So yeah, quantum Bigfoot makes a lot more sense <laughs> and neither make very much sense at all. So. Well, yeah, Jeb, uh, Jeb, um, I, 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 in my, in my skeptics book of list soon to come to a, uh, fine, uh, bookseller near you, you know, you know, neologisms that, have, you know, skeptics have coined over the years. That's one list. And, and so I, I, I find this, it's pelt. Jeb uses pelts and paws, pelts and lot, paws, which is sort of the Bigfoot or the, the crypto analogy, you know, analogy to nuts and bolts and UFO. The right. idea that nuts and bolts, you know, you know, you, the UFO phenomenon is space aliens in a tin can. It is, it, it is not, inter- yeah, not interdimensional beings. It's not. There, there's no woo involved, and and then cryptozoology that it kind of point is the yeah. pelts and Pelt paws. And yeah, yeah, and it's just it's a fucking animal. We just haven't discovered it yet, and it doesn't teleport off of spaceships, and you know, you know that kind of that kind of bullshit. And, um, and yeah, and I could find no reference that any reference I found to pelts and paws was uh, was went right back to Jeb Card, and then uh, but then they reversed it, paws and pelts, and then I found earlier references, and so that's uh, who was that? That's uh, is that Renee DeHinden? No. Uh, hang on, uh, let me let me hang on, let me just let me just let me let me consult my research here. Do, Fill this in with some music, would you? Uh, I don't beatbox very well. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Pel- uh, pelts and paws. As far as I can tell, um, this goes back to there, – there was a UK Fortean zine called Mag- Mag- Magnonia, and there was a guy named Peter Rogerson. Uh, this wow. is this is in the early two thousands. Like, like I, 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 I find I find him using it a lot. Like, um, you know, uh, that term uh, pause, 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 and pelts. I find him using it uh, a, a lot. Yeah, Nobody Renee, else using it. Renee had a name for Bigfoot. I can't. He had a way of describing that, and I thought it was pause and pelts. But it's it's definitely something. But wow, that's a that is a deep cut. If Jeb came up with that one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Jeb Jeb didn't come up with that one. But I I do. <laughs> give him i give him credit for popularizing the term popularizing the term yeah, yeah. but it's, but you know, kind of, you know this, this whole treasurer thing is it just it just it it fascinates the f out of me i'm, I'm obsessed with it you know my my in, intro not that you care about my bio but my intro into uh steganography and code breaking uh which is something i do to get money um came from the beale cipher the treasures that are supposed to be buried uh where where the Declaration of Independence serves as the base, one of the keys, of the right? Yes, yes, right. But the reality is, if you research that story, okay. you know, always make sure the story is true, 
that sets at the root of the conspiracy or the phenomena. And in this case, the Beale cipher, much like the Lost Dutchman's Mine, has no connection to John Beale whatsoever. The guy who first produces the Beale cipher does it years and years after he's dead. And uh, he sold these ciphers, I think, in his tavern. I mean, the real treasure all along was selling treasure maps, not the treasure. Um, And the reality is those uh, those other codes that are yet to be broken contain no natural language. They don't follow right. any of the rules of grammar or, or that the original one does. So they're fake. Same with the Lost Dutchman's Mine. I mean, the Lost Dutchman died years later. Uh, the tavern owner was selling treasure maps. Like, if you buy a treasure map from somebody uh, who's serving you alcohol, don't go looking for the treasure because it's just not real. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. So at the root, that's always my favorite thing. Like, a lot of times you don't even have to get in the car to research these stories. And Oak Island is a great example of that because it's a scam from the start, you know, yeah. and, and as a result of that, like, it's, it's always a little sad that people have wasted their time working on this stuff because it's obvious from the beginning that the Beale cipher is not the Zodiac cipher. Like the Beale cipher contains no natural language. Zodiac does. So if you want to break codes, fucking work on the Zodiac because that's, that could actually help us, <laughs> but there's no Beale treasure. There's no lost Dutchman mine. These, these things are frauds. They became so popular, they got concretized into, you know, into into history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the uh, you know, it's the um, like you know, people who supposedly have perpetual motion machines, and and it's like, oh yeah, no, it's I can I'm generating, yeah. and, you know, I'm generating you know, um, you know, over unity, I'm generating more electricity than I'm, I'm putting in. But I, 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 just, I just, oh, I, I haven't heard over unity in yeah. so long. Thank you for saying yeah. that word. It took me back to my youth. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm like, but like you know, I need I, if you just invest money, then I can you know make a larger version of this. And it's like, well, why not just hook it up to the grid, sell the excess. And get your money that way, you know, or it's like get your money that way. Yeah, you know, like like why not just do that? And then you're you're proving it actually. You're you're actually making money. Right. Your bank account's going. You know, like uh, like uh, did you ever play the game Mule? Oh yeah, sixty four. Yeah, yeah. So just imagine that. You know, (laughs) you know, your 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 ore bar going. You know, so many of these, and again, this would be so many of these. Petroleum, right? Like that's when everybody started doing free energy. Same thing with like, you know, all these people out in the 1800s looking for gold was at a time when we were experiencing massive gold and silver currency crisis. Like, you know, there's, there's a social anxiety that convinces people to, to invest in these sort of multi-level marketing schemes and mm-hmm. these, and these weird things, real estate shortages, you know, so you buy uh, buy land on Oak Island, you know, mm. uh, because, hey, while you're out farming, you might find a f-, f ton of, you know, French gold that you own. You know, there's right. there's satanic panic, even QAnon, like all these things live in a in a corner of our brain where there's sort of a panacea for our ongoing social anxiety. And I think, oh, my God, certainly Mothman especially after the silver bridge collapsed, like, mm-hmm. like we would have never heard about Mothman if that bridge hadn't fallen down. So UFOs become, it's, it's no coincidence that the UFO phenomenon shows up right at the height of the red scale. You know, like we're invaded by an alien presence. We can't have any control over it. They become a, a the Russians plus. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's the thing that I'm sort of fascinated with with all this stuff. And Bigfoot now is 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 has become our national. I, I told somebody the other day, you know, Bigfoot is the religion we need, right? Like, even if you don't believe in him, you need to preserve his forest because we need that forest. <laughs> yes, yes, I don't care, buddy. You know, you might be a QAnon gun-toting guy, and if you believe we need to protect the forest because of Bigfoot, okay, that's <laughs> that's good enough. You know. It's always a response to our our kind of our weird social anxiety when these when these arise. I can't remember uh, one of this guy. Oh, what is his name? He wrote this book on the black dog of Bungie, uh, this medieval you know dog that ran through a church in England, and he sort of deconstructed how how it all related to their social anxiety at the time. And it was just huh. some of the best history I've ever read. Like I, I I love the way that these things sort of tie into what we're paranoid about right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, um, if I, if I recall, you know, maybe, I'm, uh, or maybe I'm giving you the credit, maybe I should go to Jeb Card, because I know you guys kind of did, I, w- I was definitely poaching Monster Talk people for a while, and mm-hmm. I'm still poaching Monster Talk people while for <laughs> guests, but, uh, so it might have been you or Jeb, but I, I, I I'll, I'll say it was you, we, we, we were talking about the idea of, you know, the, the, the nuns, you know, that, that, that yeah. people, people, no, who that was not, me, the, I'm okay. the nuns guy. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> people who, you know, do not have a, a religion you do not list a, a religion they could they would call themselves nuns and and you know there was this idea that you know atheists view them as fellow travelers and this is progress not. <laughs> exactly and and, <laughs> and i think you were just basically saying you know what these people are going straight to QAnon, you know and yeah yeah and boom <laughs> i mean yeah. you know there's this idea i think that, that, that you know that you know people because of covid weren't able to go to church right and so what did they do <laughs> they yeah. joined QAnon in the meantime what, one of the things that fascinates the hell out of me and i wish we could get some high dollar polling on this is that people will give up church at the drop of a hat and that's one of the reasons why church is so anxious to get people back in because they know this. People go to church for 60 years, yeah. and then they'll have a change of life event, uh, a surgery, uh, cancer, and they'll be out for a month, and they'll never go back. Yeah. And it happens in fairly high numbers. It's one of those things where, where people can have a very a devout you know, and, and sincere uh, attention to their congregation, and then over the span of a couple of weeks, they'll just decide they don't need it and they'll give it up. And, you know, QAnon really appeals to that, that thinker, like, you know, a a profile of the QAnon uh, adherent is someone who has an over, an over, I don't, man, I hope none of your listeners are deep into Q. They think they're (laughs) smarter than they actually are, you know, but they also think that, that society has dealt them a raw hand. You know, they're, 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 they didn't do well in school because of they were bullied or, or they're disaffected. Uh, they feel like that their, their intelligence warrants a higher level of, of, of success and attention that they received. But they also believe that there are powerful forces in the world that are behind those problems, whether that's the Jews, the DNC, uh, you know, Bernie folks actually migrate. QAnon as well, or some some other sort of nefarious organization like Epstein-style pedophiles, lizard people. There's just some other that's there that's that's the, at the root of their problem. That person is the perfect uh, a QAnon adherent because they're watching this bullshit on YouTube already, and the way the YouTube algorithm is constructed, or the way you know their searches are constructed, it, it takes them down. Yeah. Someday when I finish my book on this, you can read it. <laughs> down this path that I call 
cognitive tunneling. Yeah. It, the algorithm itself creates a tunnel for them to follow until they reach the ultimate, you know, golden palace of, of QAnon or whatever their conspiracy theory yeah. is. And that's why it's sort of a meta theory that, you know, allows people who voted for Bernie Sanders and people who think the Jews are evil, which should be paradoxical, right. to nestle up next to each other. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not a mind virus. It doesn't do anything to you. It just it just creates an outlet for things you're already sort of feeling and experiencing. And it has a very distinct profile. Like you are never going to be in, intoxicated by QAnon. Like, Probably not. Like it's not going to happen because you're not even in the places. You're not even in the, on the real estate right. in the internet that would, that would lead you down those, those channels. Well, I mean, you and I, we are, we look in on that stuff where we, yeah. we, we read their literature, but, but we right. don't find it persuasive. Cause well, we go, the way it, so the way it works for me, I'm not woo, but I'm entertained by woo. So when I crack open YouTube, it suggests a sort of – it's like going to the buffet where everything is terrible, but if you eat it in small portions, you're going to be okay. It's not all frosting. You know, there's some Bigfoot suggestions and there's some, some you know – a, you know, Aurora crash. There's a little bit of everything in there, but with these QAnons, you know, there's this great podcast called rabbit hole. I, eh, I'm not going to say, but I might've <laughs> talked to those guys. Um, when, when you look at what they, they, a guy turned over his entire YouTube search history. Okay. It was straight line. Once okay. he got into that path of sort of outright conspiracy bullshit, right. the buffet dried up. It was nothing but, you know, Waldorf salad all the way, all right, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the difference is once these folks, they just keep, these are people that will watch YouTube videos, you know, 18 hours a day, right. you know, they, they become completely obsessed with this stuff and it becomes their community. It becomes, it becomes their world. And it's super sad because, you know, they're, they, they're, they're deriving much like going to church, a lot of meaning out of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, you know, like any conspiracy theory, it has the potential to have real word impact. I, that's why I think KGC is the 19th century analog for QAnon because QAnon folks are now getting involved in government right. and their, uh, and their adherents are, are, have the potential to shape the agenda in a super negative way. When economies change, there are winners and losers and, and traditionally, you know, the losers, you know, could feed into conspiracies right. and join. But, you know, it, it occurred to me too, it's, not even necessarily like you are a loser, right? That you, your your economic condition has not changed at all. You 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 still got your three bedroom house. You got your right. cars in the driveway, but everybody else around you is doing better, right? You know, so or 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 a group that you traditionally were able to look down on are now doing better than you, and that's you just hit it. You hit yeah. the nail on the head because. You know, Toronto is a very diverse city in, in Canada. The, I think it's the most diverse city in the world now. Um, there are cities in Europe that have high, high incidences of diversity. But the difference and the thing that po- people forget, and I, I will stand on this as an argument, is that the United States is the only post-colonial nation that is also a first world superpower. <laughs> And that dynamic is unique to us. We have a situation where we are the first world superpower. We could nuke the hell out of the rest of the planet. Right. We are our our currency is the is the currency du jour of the world. But 
we have to live and work, not have, it's our own damn fault, alongside our former oppressed people. <laughs> and our former oppressed people are now taking control of that giant superpower. Yeah. And that amongst the old hegemon creates a tremendous amount of anxiety. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Bolivarian revolutions where they just kicked out the Spaniards and the, and the native populations took over, that's a manifestly different thing. Or India is another good example, even though they're tilting right now because of population changes. So Modi was able to come in. But in the U.S., we have a first world superpower that was all of a sudden under the command of an avatar of the former enslaved caste. And right, that yeah. scared the hell out of a lot of people. So yeah. that's a situation I think that, again, your KGC types, you know, your neo-Confederates just find absolutely untenable. I think Ann Coulter said it best that an America not run by white people was not white people's America. Right. And that's, that's, a, that's a situation that's really kind of, kind of unique to us in a, in a way that some countries, maybe someday a bunch of minorities will move to Sweden and they'll have to deal with it or Norway. Right. But, but for the U S you know, we have our former oppressed people, you know, here in significant numbers and now exerting tremendous economic and political power. Yeah. And a lot of people just can't handle it. So you're exactly right. It's not just that my neighbor is doing better than me. It's that my black neighbor is doing better. Than right. Me. Right. Yes. Yeah. Brown neighbor. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is, you know, it's like the, you know, I mean, the, you know, I mean, there's, there's psychological experiments that demonstrate that too, right? Yes. You know, that, that, you know, they, you, I would rather be in a worse position if I can put you in a far worse position, you know, Correct. you know, you know th there's not, there's me having five cows is great. Me having five cows and you suddenly having 20 cows makes me vastly unhappy. And that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. If you pin your happiness to that. And you're right. There's a lot of psychological. Plus, you know, people in homogenous societies, studies have shown, are more apt to share resources than people in highly diverse societies. So the more diverse society you are, the more wealth hoarding there tends to be. So, you know, Sweden has a very generous society. Norway has a very generous society uh, in conjunction with their level of homogeneity. So, you know, it's a it's a really different situation here and and that kind of anxiety we kind of joke about it as you know economic anxiety uh is a code word for racism <laughs> you know that kind of anxiety actually really fuels QAnon because a lot of these people are doing great they're just not but there's people they don't like who are doing even greater and, and it really upsets them yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, like Silicon Valley, and I mean, I work in the software industry, and, you know, and it takes, I mean, my software company is run by a guy who immigrated to Canada, you know, right. um, half the people uh, in key roles and, you know, the most important people in the company are, are, are you know, are, are, are newcomers to Canada. And I mean, and, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I'm going to say, you know, God bless them. Like, like, like fucking right. the, the, the shit you have built and how much better you've made my life, you know, is, is, you know, right. is, is, is awesome. And yeah. And you can take that point of view or you could somehow, I don't know, you just get like really rossed about it, which I, that's the that's the the, the the path I don't understand. I, I'm with you. I have no I have no insight into it. I, I don't understand it. I grew up in the South. I grew up in a, a racist household, and it never made any effing sense to me why anybody cared that. Like, I mean, we were doing okay. Why do you care that? Yeah. You know, the minority neighbor 
is doing good too. It's, it's very weird to me. Now, I mean, we can talk about the extent to which we need billionaires in a society, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not even talking about that. I mean, I'm talking about just upward mobility amongst the, the middle class. It, it, it doesn't make sense. But again, you know, it didn't make sense to people in the, in the 19th century. You know, they were willing to burn down their future in some last effort to try to preserve slavery. So this is a, this is something that's deep in our soul that we are in a process of trying to exercise right now. Yeah. You, you know, when you, obviously, you know, when you research American history, right, you know, it, you know was that they called the paranoid style of uh, paranoid style. style. Yeah. 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 I mean, America has always been, this is, we are not in kind of a new era. Like you say that there, there you know, there was a blip, right. You know, the, you know, yeah. you, know <laughs> you know, that was, that was a blip. The idea of like, were, were you the one who, who made the point about, you know, it's like the news. You had you know, Walter Cronkite and you had like three yeah. talking heads and, and, you know, heavily curated, heavily. Exactly. Curated exactly. Yeah. Tried to be as objective as fucking possible. And, and, you know, when I'm sort of researching all these things for, 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 you know, for, for my skeptics book of list, uh, skeptic books, book of lists, you know, I, you know, I'm reading, you know, newspapers, you know, from the, and as you probably did when you're researching things, you know, you start reading newspapers from the, you know, the 19th century and the, you know, even in the early part of the, you know, the 20th century and, and God, they were a sarcastic, cynical lot. Like a lot of these articles are just like a lot of snark. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's quite interesting. But I was going to say your your yeah. Aurora um, your Aurora People airship are dumb. They tell ghost stories as if they're true. Yeah, yeah. But your um, um, yeah Aurora airship was great. Yeah, the um, when, I'm I'm actually go ahead. Oh, I was going to say where you're on you're on Monster Talk and you're sort of talking about um, you know I, I mean the, sort of the brief story is the story it, 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 it was a joke article run in a newspaper that this this airship crashed into this judge's windmill and there was a man from sailor. mars yeah man from mars and and you know the 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 expert what you was it was you when you research who the expert was he was really just like an illiterate civil war you know, confederate veteran <laughs> civil and, war of ang- you know, unre- unreconstructed confederate yeah yeah exactly it's so everyone who read the article would go oh god that is biting satire well done <laughs> right you know, exactly and and uh, and and so you were talking about it on Monster Talk, and then then and then, you know those you know stupid ass UFO shows on History Channel. They're like, you know, because because someone had said, well, the judge didn't have a windmill, and and then they went, you know, and they go, oh look, they we found a windmill on his property, and 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 then that makes it into the Wikipedia article, like like you know the the kind of the official under the semi-official town historian who's like, no, there was no windmill. And then, and then the next line in the Wikipedia article is no, this UFO show on history channel found the windmill. And you, you, you made the point, you you looked at that windmill and that was not, it's not a windmill. It's a sump pump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like anybody from Texas, yeah. Anyone from Texas would look at that damn thing and go, that's not a windmill. Yeah, exactly. So the opposite I, of a window. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, so the, now the new next line in the Wikipedia article is Jerry Drake, paranormal researcher revealed on monster talk <laughs> you know, right. that in his investigation that that was not a windmill. You know, so, yeah. you know, it's funny that that piece of property was huge. You know, judge Proctor had a big piece of property. We found where his house was yeah. and there was a windmill there, you know, the place where the crash happened, you know, 
but they actually found an old map that showed a piece of property that belonged to Judge Proctor, quote unquote judge. And they found a, a well house that was not a well house. It was actually a sewage house. And, and it was clearly built in the fifties. In fact, they even say in the show that the piece of the slab of concrete has the 1946 date on it. So it's yeah. like, like, what are you, like you had to go out of you. That's just a lie at that <laughs> point. Like that's not even an exaggeration for TV standards. That, that was just a damn lie, <laughs> you know? And, and, and the seventies was just crazy. Like that, that investigation was so, so hyped and poorly done, but Texas, Around Dallas, they still run that story every Halloween. It's yeah. it's just like clockwork. They run it, you know, you know, that this is the Texas Roswell. Yeah, well, it, it seemed like it kind of like during the X-Files days, someone really kind of brought it back that the um, – the uh, Oh, it even had the fake music. That was when I got yeah. into it was watching the X-Files. I was like, oh, my God, the yeah. Tex-Files. Yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might be getting confused, but the, the guy who wanted to – there, there, there was some UF guy who founded his own UFO organization, and then he kind of dug into the story, and he was trying to get the where the Martian was supposedly buried. He was trying to get that grave so excavated. The guy, the guy in the seventies, early eighties, was the um, aeronautics reporter for the Dallas Times Herald. Okay, and you got to remember, it was the Times Herald, not the Morning News. If you want the really the Herald went out of business. It was the liberal paper in Texas, and it was a lot more freewheeling. It's the one Molly Ivins wrote for Star Telegram and Times Herald. Right. Um, and he was a local field investigator from MUFON. And right. so he he was trying to get the grave dug up at a time when the local community didn't want to didn't want to deal with it. And then he, in the middle of it all, he died. And that's what fueled the conspiracy that it was some kind of that it was bigger than what it really was. Okay. I. I mean, when we visited there in 90, I think it was 1990, we took extensive photographs of that graveyard and nobody knew anything about that thing when we were there. And then I, I noticed a few years later and on that show that this fake alien tombstone shows up and they right, claim, right. you know, that it had been, that wasn't there when we were there. Like somebody right, yeah. went in and put that in. You can, I think when I talked to Capital Skeptics, I even was able to line up a side by side. So yeah. a lot of, a lot of the stuff for that show was cooked up fairly late. And there is a person there now, much like Goatman, Goatman's Bridge, which is another local legend that's blown up worldwide. There's, there's locals now who are trying to, trying to monetize it because they used to be embarrassed about it, but now they're trying to monetize it because it's good for the, the local brew pub industry and stuff like okay. that. Like, yeah. I have noticed the proximity of areas of high strangeness to – brew pub is, is getting much much more intense as the days go on you know yeah. i i think maybe there's just a bit of motivated uh, on right. your part there right well true yeah well that's true but i'm like oh let's we can legend trip here because we can have lunch it's an excellent at brew this pub brew pub yeah. Yeah. the uh, oh as the for the roar thing is his name was um hayden hughes is this hayden hughes again? hayden yes. hughes right okay right so you know, he okay so hayden hughes he got involved in that that the aurora airship crash story and i think he was trying to get the grave exhumed he was part of that yeah. now the interesting thing about him he was the, he was a 13 year old that founded the international ufo bureau <laughs> oh and, i didn't yeah. know that that's okay awesome. yeah or maybe and, i did know that and i've kind oh, of buried it in my memory okay but now here's the interesting thing about that he 
his it was his organization that Jimmy Carter sent his famous oh UFO report the, to. Oh wow! Yeah. The uh, uh, sighting of uh, Venus that Carter yes. thought was the UFO. Yes. That's amazing. Exactly. Like, so, yeah. All of this stuff is just so incestuous. The more you dig into it, it's just so great. No, it, it's oh, it's connected it, it all it's is. crazy. Yeah, Hughes yeah. died in 2017, according to my research. So, wow. sort of the, that jerk ass. So, so he's dead. So he can't sue me. So I can call. Him. No, <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm sure he was a nice a nice person. But, but uh, yeah, no, you're 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 right. There is it is it is yeah. Or it's like well, there was a guy too. He founded one too. He was. Um, Hang on, let me just check again my research. He was he was uh he worked with Shaver and the Shaver Mysteries. Yeah. Uh Timothy Beckley. Tim, uh, Tim Beckley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he looks like he co-authored some Shaver Mysteries and uh, yeah, and he he was the one that created the the UFO Investigators League that came with the with the mm-hmm. with the, the badge. badge. Cool. I didn't know that was him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he Shaver got, Shaver gave birth to Shaver was the er it's the it is you know, if you've heard our, I don't want to promote other podcasts on your podcast. But no, no, please heard our do. epic, our epic three-parter on Shaver Mysteries on Monster Talk, which is two parts. I mean, two parts. Two I, it parts. felt, oh, oh, really? Yeah. We, we recorded, we started recording when the sun was up. Yes. And the sun came up while we were recording. <laughs> and Blake wrote that into two episodes. That, that yeah. is like a college dissertation. We worked on that forever. Everything goes back to the Shaver Mysteries. Literally everything. I've got three points to make about that. Uh, one, like just like some radio stations on 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 uh, Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, they they have a tradition of playing Alice's Restaurant. Yes, that, that you should let's say on America Thanksgiving, you should re-listen to that two-parter. Every year, <laughs> re-listen to that because it is so information-dense and you guys, the Shaver Mysteries are so core to all the fucking dumb shit we watch on the History Channel today that, 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 that it's, it's important to understand the Shaver Mysteries. And then it's so information-dense that as you go through life and you research things, you will go back and re-listen to that two-parter and you'll go, oh, I completely miss the significance of that. And I completely miss the significance of that. So, uh, yeah, so definitely re-listen to that once a year. <laughs> make it make it your Thanksgiving tradition uh, and you will discover every time you listen to it, you, you find new things. I said I had three points. Oh, and then I believe you guys did that around when my father passed away. So that was oh. a very that was a very good, you know, you know, you always need something to kind of like shit, I need to think about something else other than, you know, you know, all the things I won't be able to do with my dad in the future. And then it was, in, in a way it was something I could kind of like listen to and sort of, you know, not take comfort in, but it's, it's mental distraction. I am as proud of that podcast as I am my dissertation, like the level of research we put yeah. in that to get it like, like, you know, Jeb and I did most of the research and it was really about telling a story nobody else had told in a medium that we thought people would listen to, yeah. you know, for a long time. And I would love to turn that into a book. You know, I think both Jeb and Blake are open to it. I am writing a book right now. That's a true crime book, but I may turn my hand to shaver when this is, yeah. when this is over. Yeah. You, I mean, you've made the point that, and, and you know, I, I know in the, the last episode, we sort of delved a bit more like, you know, 
you work for a government organization to of which you, you you're not really liberty to say and, and but you also are not really allowed to do your podcast or blog and stuff like right. that too right so so yeah yeah i so, mean it's it's getting easier i mean things things might change in the future but yeah they don't i mean <laughs> this administration is not that interested in what we're doing in our personal lives, obviously. But I mean, I figure that'll go back, but you know, we, we can't make a lot of money. You know, if I suddenly wrote a bestseller, Mm -hmm. I would have to decide, well, do I quit my job or do I keep, you know, trying to write books, but I can't just go out and say, you know, hi, I'm Jerry Drake. This is my podcast. Uh, You should listen to me because I work for, you know, the U S government in this capacity. There are some things we can do, but you kind of can't make that your full-time job. So that makes it a little, that makes it a little more difficult. Now this true crime book that I'm writing is going to have a podcast. I'll tease it on your show. Oh, oh great. Okay. It is going to have a 13 episode podcast okay. um, that, that, that goes along with the book and my publisher and I are going to do it. It's a cottage industry book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, her and her husband run a small press out of the town where this murder took place. Um, and it is the solution to the murder that inspired the uh, Twin Peaks TV show. Oh, so we're going to reveal who really killed the real life Laura Palmer. Be- so uh, that will be an interesting story. Can you make each of your podcasts at least one hour in length? Because that is they—they the- they will have to be an hour. In okay, length. Yeah. okay. Because that is that is the length of my uh, my my commuter train ride into yeah. work and back. So so it's nice to just have one thing to listen to. A, a 30 minute <laughs> podcast gets on my nerves because I have to dig out my phone and find something new to listen to before exactly. I get to work. Exactly. And a two hour podcast, is a little too long, but we're no. we're probably creeping up on two hours here. So uh, that, that's all right. Yeah, well, that's why usually usually I like to record at nine, but you, you and uh, you and Jeb Card like to to, to talk. So uh, yeah, so that's, why, <laughs> that's why I sort of rolled this one this one this one back a bit. So so yeah, but uh, I, I you know that that yeah, I, I suppose we could we could kind of kind of kind of wrap up. Uh, it's uh, up to you. Uh, I'll talk when the sun comes up. I, right? I, I know, I know. You do you you uh <laughs> you you do have a great wealth of knowledge. It's always <laughs> quite amazing. I mean, um, you know, just just review. You're you you've got a BA in anthropology and an MA in, in a, a history with a focus in U.S. history. Okay, you're right. And a PhD in a field of uh, educational uh, in a field of education. And my research was on how people uh, learn history and, and obtain information from the public space. So, which to me, I get it qualifies you one to work for the government and two to be a paranormal researcher. That's all. <laughs> Those things qualify. And I have like three or four minors, which are really interesting. So, yeah, I I finally declared a major. <laughs> I could have had a major in philosophy, history, um, took a lot of physics classes. Like I just fucked around in college forever. So That's right. And I, I was, was in college from 1992 until 2015. So <laughs> I well, well, we we. we Degree granting institutions we tend to call universities here, so I'm not, yeah. not trying to be like I'm not trying to flex on you here, Jerry. But uh, when I went to university, um, yeah, yeah, I, I was eighty. 85 and i think i left in 91 I got, I got like a ba six years i had so much fun in university and i never wanted to leave until i noticed people in their like fucking 30s still yeah. like working on their ba and scrounging around for student media jobs and i'm like i don't want to be that guy i'm out of here and uh, we no. marched right down to the admissions office get me out of here give me my degree 
I was, uh, I, was uh, I went to, we call them universities here, but we have different variations of universities. And in the state of Texas, there are universities uh, that literally for much of their history were funded via cattle ranching. And uh, <laughs> those are colloquially known as a cow colleges. So Sorry. you have the Ivy League and then you have the cow colleges. And working class people like myself get a very fine education by attending these cow colleges. And I was very much the guy who worked all day and then went to school at night. Like, right, that okay. was I was in, on the night school track. Right, okay. And uh, I got to tell you, that's a great way to do it because I got a lot of people that went to Harvard and Yale that worked for me. And uh, <laughs> fun part about it is, is uh, my shit's paid for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my. You still got to call me doctor, so. <laughs> Yeah, my my student debt was cleared up long time ago. Because I yeah, when you went to especially in Canada, when you went to university in the eighties, wasn't that expensive? Not not like yeah. today. But but uh, you, you speaking about people from Ivy League, you made a great point on one of the podcasts. You know, uh, uh, it might have been the two the two parter on Monster Talk, but uh, you had a great point about um, you know the idea that you know. You know, people in government are just like us, and and that you get these, you get these like, you occasionally encounter these Ivy Leaguers, smart people, well educated, who who plant their flag on a bizarre hill, and that's the one they're gonna die on, you know, and and you know, so like Podesta and UFOs, and you know, yeah. you know, why do the you know the, the, these these government people who seem to be interested in UFOs, they're not interested in UFOs because they know the secret. They're just like me and you who like UFOs and, you know, and they, and they just are planting their flag on that, you know? I think, I think there is a tendency amongst people who, who are intrigued by mysteries and who are intrigued by secrets to go into lines of work that keep secrets, right? Like, right. like you're, you're sort of intrigued by like, you know, um, by that kind of line of work. And when you get there, you, you have an opportunity to entertain your eccentricities a little more. Right. But, you know, for many years, uh, you know, the U S government, you know, certainly during the cold war spent a lot of time investing in people like that, like Tom slick, you know, because the, the Russians thought these guys were goofy <laughs> and because the Russians thought they were goofy, they didn't pay any attention to them. So a guy like Tom Slick could get himself into these highly sensitive areas on the Russian-Mongolian border in a way that a legitimate botanist or, 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 or you know, geologist or archaeologist <laughs> would not be able to get to. They would, they would grant Tom Slick access to look for Bigfoot, but they wouldn't give, you know, you know professor of botany access to that area right. to do legitimate research because the russians and the chinese thought these guys were goofy so you know there's it's one of the things i always say is don't forget people in government here and abroad they know all these conspiracy right, right. theories they're into all this stuff too yeah. so the, the 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 idea that you you are somehow smarter than them is complete nonsense yeah. <laughs> like they, they've always got two steps ahead <laughs> I mean, if, if, I, if I learn one thing from Jeb Card, and I've learned many things from Jeb Card, one thing from Jeb Card is, um, you know, like archaeologists, you know, back in the, you know, say the, the, the 20s and 30s and 40s were actually also spies for the government. They were. Were they? That's yeah. exactly right, because they could go into these places and the government would be like, hey, you know, do, do you 
do you want to go over there and eat hardtack or would you like to eat caviar? Because if you'll do a, if you'll do this, that, and the other thing for us, we'll 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 find a Smithsonian endowment to fix you yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, freaking Alistair Crowley was even a spy for the government because people thought he was goofy. You know, he was able to get into places that you know people who didn't have a goofy reputation were not able to get into. But yeah, yeah. the intelligence work. T. E. Lawrence is a great example of somebody. Right. Who, yes. Yes. Who used archaeology as a cover for? Uh, you know, for uh, military work and, and intelligence work. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can see why maybe the government kind of went from, well, let's send in these archaeologists, you know, I mean, they're legit archaeologists, but also right. being paid to do something else to like, okay, that's not working for us anymore because they've learned their lessons in the 40s. Yeah, let's send in the the Bigfoot hunters and the, the you know, Mongolian deathworm guys and, you know, yeah. and the... Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, or, and because it's goofy, nobody thinks it's real. So. Yeah, yeah. They're just going to spend money on the locals, and they're not – interesting. Yeah, yeah interesting. So you're going right. to have to wonder what old Bigelow's up to, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess we, we, should, we, should, we should wrap it up. But, uh, Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess, you know, the, I always say the um, – I'm the podcast that doesn't want anything, so I don't beg for, you know, you know, uh, Patreon dollars or give me good reviews on iTunes. And the only thing I say, the only thing I want is if someone was to meet you, Jerry Drake, at a, you know, at a conference, a paranormal or skeptical conference, and said, "Oh, I I took Carl's advice and listened to your two-parter on, uh, you know, and that was brilliant. It changed my life." Uh, I, I want to buy you a drink. What do you? What can I buy you? What, what What are you drinking, Jerry? If somebody comes to DC and wants to buy me a drink, and this has happened a few times, I will just take a, a cold beer. Nothing cold, too expensive. Cold beer, not an IPA. I think we established that last do time. Do not, not, no, sir. Do not okay. like an IPA. A real ale. Yeah. But we could, you know, when COVID is over, if you want to come to Washington and and talk about KGC or aliens, we can go down to the Exchange, which is my local bar, and and just get a cold beer and I'm going to get real teary eyed because I haven't had that experience in about six months. Now. I, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to go see, I, I saw the Smithsonian in like 1976 and that was the last time we went at the Smithsonian. We, uh, we, we had a very short, trip to i mean we were driving down to florida and my, my dad uh had a colleague in washington dc we spent a night there all we wanted to see was the hope diamond you know when you're <laughs> when you're thing everybody wants yes exactly when you're nine years old you gotta see the hope Diamond. i mean those you know those you know friendship seven whatever i don't care to see that oh, it's fucking hope diamond right so yeah so it was a very quick just there's hope diamond okay let's get back in the car get to florida but um but uh yeah i would love to go see the smithsonian again but uh, it is it is much different than it used to be they've done an amazing job and the hall of the americas the, the american is my favorite right. that's where archie's chair and all that stuff is but the exhibits that they have now are are, are less political correct and they have and of course we have the national uh, uh african-american museum they're going to build a women's history museum um it's pretty cool but yeah the hope diamond's still there you still Good. can get in there and see it if you get there early um uh, uh they have the best gift shop where the hope diamond is i and they redid the dinosaurs so right. we got new dinosaurs now so you can go see those all right. Okay. All right. So, right. Yeah. So, just buy you a buy you a beer. Okay. All right. That is that is, that is awesome, Jerry. Buy me a beer. We'll go see the Hope Time. Perfect. I will. I will. I will take you up on that. And uh, give me about five years or so. <laughs> Probably gonna Come back. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to go to Edinburgh before I go to. Uh, That's a good city. 
Yeah. That okay, we're not okay. That is my favorite city on planet Earth, and okay, I could good. I could happily spend the rest of my life there. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the beer is very good, even though they have a lot of IPA. Get the Dukers. That is such a unique place. In fact, that's where my, my my ancestors are actually from. Is the area south of Edinburgh called Hoyek. Oh, great. And okay. uh, yeah, and uh, that's man, I love that place. So definitely, do not go to Washington D.C. if you have the choice between coming <laughs> to Washington or Edinburgh. Could Edinburgh twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the COVID. We we were literally one day away from flying to Paris uh, uh, in March when when everything got shut down. So yeah, yeah we were going to spend Christmas in Venice, and boy, howdy, am I smiling through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was uh, yeah. So who knows where we're going? But uh, we we do we do have some plane tickets that we 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 have to use at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Help as long as that airline is flying to DC, that's a that's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jerry, I will let you go. Thank you again for Take your care. time. This was a blast. Thank okay. You. All right. Yeah. And if you get again, if you think of something else, or when you're ready to talk about your book, you know, I would love that. I may hit you up. I think you'd like that one. I'll send you a copy. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Bye.